everyone, and welcome to episode 7 of Proustian Paths, the podcast that takes you on a gentle walk through the text of a classic work of French literature, Marcel Proust's In Search of Lost Time. I am James Holden, and I'm your tour guide for this literary journey. Along the way, I'll be offering you a view of all the novel's key moments, so that if you're a first-time reader, you'll be able to see them from their best vantage points. Or, if you're already a dedicated Proustian, you'll get a different perspective on the people and places you already know. Welcome all. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to join me on this literary journey. As regular listeners to the podcast will have noticed, it's been a long time since I uploaded the previous episode. I really appreciate everyone's patience and your continued engagement with the show in the intervening months. If you'd like to hear a little more about the reasons for this delay, and my intentions moving forward, then please do check out the quick channel update episode that I published recently. Speaking of channel updates, before beginning today's episode, I want to take a brief moment to flag up a few exciting recent developments at the channel. Firstly, Proustian Paths is now available on Spotify, so if that's your preferred platform, just search for us there. Secondly, Proustian Paths is also now on YouTube. You'll be able to find all the episodes there in video form, so please do head over to the show's channel, subscribe and hit the notification bell to be alerted when new episodes go live. Subscribing there will really help with the mysterious algorithm. Lastly, in terms of news, the show has now got a great new logo and series of social media banners. They were designed by Laura from Life is Better in Colour, and I'm sure you'll agree with me that they look fantastic and really capture the mood of the show and of Proust's book. In today's episode, we'll be continuing our slow walk through Swan in Love, the long section within In Search of Lost Time's first volume. Specifically, we'll be making our way through the time of Swan and Odette's romance, their growing relationship, their first physical touches, and the little jealousies that begin to emerge over their first spring and summer together. This leg of our journey will take us from pages 229 to 253 of the English translation published by Penguin. If you're reading along with the podcast but are using another translation, or are reading in the original French, simply read up to the first mention of Forcheville. As per usual, We'll begin the episode by drawing a map of this section, and then adding to it a few conceptual or literary landmarks that we can use to orientate ourselves. Then we'll move forward along the Proustian paths and take in the literary view. Just as we're heading out into the streets of Paris, I'd ask that if you enjoy this episode, please do consider subscribing to the channel wherever you get your podcasts, sharing it with others, and leaving a five-star review. It's much appreciated. The Literary Map Let's plot the narrative path that runs through today's section of text. There are, I think, two main sequences in this short passage of the novel, a passage which, as I've just indicated, recounts to us the first spring and early summer of Swan and Odette's romance. The first sequence involves Swan's anguished search for Odette through the streets of Paris one evening. The second reveals their ongoing and developing life as a couple as they spend their evenings together, largely at Odette's house. Let's draw this narrative terrain with a little more precision, starting with the sequence showcasing Swan's panic. We begin with Swan heading to the Verderan salon to meet Odette, only to find that, as he is so late, she has already left. Her absence makes him panic, and so he rushes out to find her. Swan is told by the Verderan's butler that Odette had left word that she could be found at Prévost's, so he heads there through the evening traffic. Of course, he fails to find her in that tea room. This exacerbates Swan's emotional turmoil, 
so he begins a search of the other restaurants of Paris, searching in some of them himself, and having his coachman search others. All this is to no avail, and the driver eventually suggests they should return home, only for them to bump into Odette at that exact moment. Reunited, Swan returns to Odette's house with her in her carriage, his own following on behind, and during the journey rearranges the orchids on her dress, a pretext for touching her which leads to their first physical encounter. The second sequence in the passage of text we're navigating today shows the life that Swan and Odette subsequently carve out for themselves in the wake of this evening of jealousy and intimacy. They continue to meet, we are told, almost every evening. It's never during the day. We are told of Swan's journeys to Odette's house in his Victoria and are shown how he knocked on her lit window to be allowed in. We are also shown him repeatedly asking her to play the little phrase from Van Toy's sonata on the piano. The narrator then proceeds to explore the couple's differing views on things, and how their individual views changed through contact with each other, that is, their passions, reactions to fashion, fashionable life and society, history, and more. Lastly, we learn of Swan's changed relationship with the Verdurin Salon, which has also been modified by his relationship with Odette. Literary Landmarks Having mapped out this literary terrain, we can begin to mark onto it some physical and conceptual landmarks. Physically, the map of fashionable Paris that Proust had begun drawing in the opening sections of Swan in Love is developed here. Our first steps today take us back to the Verdurin Salon, to which space is now added a landing. From there we are taken on the route to the famous tea room Prévost's, and then along the boulevards with their restaurants and cafes, their trees and their lights, which Swan sees going out around him, and the bodies of people that Swan perceives as phantoms. That's on page 233, by the way. We are taken to the Café Anglais and La Maison Doré, amongst other places. We are also shown Swan's house again, which Odette visits only rarely. There are also the theatres, at which Odette and Swan watch popular pieces that previously the latter would never have attended. Beyond these physical locations and points of reference, there are a number of conceptual landmarks that we might place on our map of this passage. The search for Odette gives us a detailed examination of the workings of jealousy, or if not jealousy exactly, then the workings of desire and pleasure, specifically here, the idea that a desire or action is not sought when known to be available, but actively and passionately sought when revealed to be no longer available. Swan isn't interested in seeing Odette when he knows that he can, but desperately needs to when he can't. This is a dynamic that lies at the heart of the broader search, and will be important later for our narrator, so it is worth marking on our maps here. We might also highlight the significance of this search for Odette more generally, and the fact that it results in the finding of the person sought, the individual believed to have been lost. At the beginning of this passage, we get the views of the Verdurin clan on Swan and Odette, as expressed when they are not around. These images will be a useful reference as we proceed, and as the views of the Verdurins come more into play. They also add to our growing sense of the characters as being multifaceted and able to be viewed and consequently understood differently from different positions and by different people. The later moments of today's section reinforce this still further as we learn of the ways Swan and Odette came to view each other, the lenses through which they saw each other and the ways in which they changed through their contact. The role of Van Toy's sonata in the ongoing relationship is developed in this passage and its importance to Swan's interior life is already shown to be acute. This will again be a crucial way marker for us as we proceed. 
The Literary Critical View There is much that comes into view during the two sequences that form this passage. We begin in the first with a search. This should always be significant for us. Here, it is not a search for lost time, but a lost object of desire, or rather the absence of someone who will, through their absence, become an object of desire. This sequence is in many ways a treatise on the functioning of desire. It is only, we are told, in finding Odette absent, that Swann comes to measure the pleasure that he would have found in her company. This is, Proust writes, quote, a pleasure he was now measuring for the first time. That's on page 229. It is, Proust writes, the certainty of finding pleasure that, for Swann, quote, diminishes it. Then, subsequent to the night of the great search through the streets of Paris, the knowledge, or quote, certainty, that Odette is at home, assuages the panic that has now been triggered in him, that he might not find her when he wants her. It, quote, neutralised the anguish, forgotten but always ready to be reawakened, that he had felt that night. That's on page 238. There is much in Swan's Night of Searching that speaks to us about time too, so in this manner his search is a search for lost time, or a search on which time is itself lost and found. There are the interlocking processes of anticipation, which is to say the expectation of an outcome, her not being there in a given restaurant, and the revelation of whether she really was there or not, a revelation that requires the recasting of the previous moments to take the facts into consideration. Also, whilst in his carriage, Swan, in his anguish, plays with the experience of time by counting it differently and asking it to bend to the needs of his love and desire. Proust writes, quote, He counted the time he was taking, and added a few seconds to all the minutes to be sure of not having made them too short. That's on page 231. Time here is not objective, but subjective, malleable, able to bend to the needs of desire. The idea of time is more generally of interest in the passage we're traversing today. The relationship between Swan and Odette only exists in the evenings. We're told on page 242 that, quote, he knew nothing about how she spent her time during the day. It is only, we learn on the same page, when the blankness he assigns to her time is filled with a concrete image that his anxiety returns. Odette's grasp on history is also of note specifically her account of certain interiors which seem to move time period. True, this is in one way simply the product of her ignorance of the history of interior design, but it also plays to the greater trope of the instability of the rooms around us and the temporality we inhabit. It connects to those opening images of the narrator who, half asleep, finds his room recreating itself so as to be different spaces from different periods in his life. This passage also treats us with more shifting versions of Charles Swann. After the night of his search, during the spring period in which he visits Odette every night, we are told that Swan became a new man. Swan was not the same, the narrator declares on page 238. His actions are different, and the links that connected him to his friends are altered. And this change is derived from the working of his passion itself. Proust writes, To such an extent does a passion manifest itself in us as a temporary and distinct character that replaces our other character. Again, that's on page 238. This new character, the new Swan, has new attitudes to theatre and music, and to the Verderans. But of course, this is for us already only another Swan, in a line of Swans, a line that includes the Swan the narrator's parents knew, the one the narrator himself saw as a child during the scene of the goodnight kiss, the Swan that he knew later as an adult, and, to look ahead, 
the swan he will know during his time with Gilbert. Fantoy's sonata makes a return in this sequence. Swan, you will recall, heard this during his first visit to the Verderan Salon, and immediately recalled having heard it before, and how he was transported by it on that earlier occasion, but was unable to discover anything about it. Now, he has been able to domesticate this music, literally, in that he has Odette play the little phrase for him at home. The narrator's account of this gives us a sustained and personalised approach to the act of listening. We are told that, for Swan, this music, quote, continued to be associated with the love he felt for Odette. This is on page 239. In fact, it's not just connected with his love, but, like the paintings before it, allows for the love. We are told that the little phrase has created spaces in him, and that, quote, in them he was free to write Odette's name. And even still, we learn that Swan is not done with the music, and the description of his sensual engagement with it stands alongside those other great sensory descriptions in the search, only here we are concerned with sound, and not, for instance, the taste of a madeleine. Following on from this, the final thing I'd like to point out as we make our way through this passage is the extent to which the development of love and the working of desire take place through a sequence of objects, physical, conceptual, and artistic. There are the orchids, of course, but also the sonata and the paintings that are essential for Swan's experience of Odette's beauty. Here, love is not a pure or discreet emotion. Rather, it is instrumentalised. It occurs through an object, which allows the object of love to be remade and constructed as such. As always, it remains for me to say thanks for joining me on this leg of our gentle literary walk. If you've enjoyed the journey, again please do consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving me a review. Don't forget that the show is also now available on YouTube, so you can subscribe there too and discover the different paths we're taking through Proust's novel arranged in handy playlists. For more Proustian content you can also follow the channel over on social media, just search for Proustian Paths. Finally, if you'd like to support me and the channel, you can do so over on coffee.com. You can do that by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash Proustian Paths. Your support in this way is of course entirely optional and will always be massively appreciated. I hope you'll join me for the next leg of our journey along the way, when the Paths to Proust text will take us to the rivalry between Swan and Forcheville and the former's fall from grace. We'll be covering pages 253 to 286 of the English translation published by Penguin, if you're following along in a different edition, this will take us up to the moment when Swan goes to a dinner with the Verderans in the Bois de Boulogne. I look forward to you joining me on the next section of our walk along the Proustian Paths. <laughs>